We have been to the, uh, most of the Jewish film festivals with an Auschwitz topic that's, I guess, sort of, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's almost a given, you know, that that's the place where you start out. Um, but we've also had a couple of other really inter interesting festivals like La Femme um, and also the St. Louis International Film Festival or um, Lunenburg Festival in, in Canada. Uh, festival in Ontario. So, I mean, we, we've been around and that for me, it's really also about getting the story out, you know, making people aware of um, of something that's not really over yet, but it's still there. Uh, sort of um, it, the, the trauma is passed on from generation to generation. Some of the topics that come up are relevant today. And welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival. And this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film and learning all the little dirty secrets of Hollywood that they just aren't telling you. Today, um, I would like to welcome aboard to our wonderful podcast, Sonia Winterberg. And she is an award-winning uh, writer and documentarian director with roots in film in Germany. You know, her, most of her work has focused in on women and children in armed conflicts in post-war situations. And uh, the ARD television documentary series, and I'm going to, hopefully I'm pronouncing this correctly, you're going to have to correct me if, if I'm wrong, uh, Kreis in Kinder, which is Children of War, was a knockout documentary series that she helmed. Uh, she also co-authored the companion book that was uh, released with this. Some of her latest uh, works include Dark Business, Children or Child Trafficking in the Heart of Europe, and Made in Auschwitz, which we were uh, lucky enough to have and show at the La Femme Film Festival that's made in Auschwitz, the untold story of women of Block 10. And that won uh, Best Documentary at La Femme. But this is not her first uh, rodeo. <laughs> she has been a successful documentarian for a while. So, you know, let's talk about your roots coming up and 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 why being a documentarian really spoke to you. Right. So um, I always felt that the, the real stories, the, uh, stories that people tell are um, are better than anything we can dream up or talk about, you know, like kind of like makeup. And um, and I really found that true, not only in war, which is uh, one of my focuses, but also in real life. I mean, um, I think we're going through the pandemic now. Um, people emerge with all kinds of uh, heroic stories. And um, so that's always been of great interest to me. And so that's uh, where I come from. That's that's a nice touchstone, you know, to 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 bring that in to the stories that are pivotal world event stories. When you were thinking about, let's say, the Auschwitz story, where did that come from? How did that seed into your universe where you where you said, ah, th this is like my next one? So I had been uh, working on a story about war orphans in World War II. Um, there were actually several projects that I worked on. And this colleague of mine said, you know, at a point where I was just about to be finished with this topic. I was like, you know, I had done all of World War One and World War Two, and I was like, you know, now let's find something else. And she comes up to me and says, you know, I know that you're not really into, like, you, you want to venture to new sort of frontiers, but I have this story here. Don't you think that would be a, a great topic? And it was about sterilization experiments in Auschwitz, right? And 
And it's not something, it's not your typical um, popcorn, uh, you know, movie event. And I, I, I was like, you know, are you sure we want to make a film out of this? And she's like, I think we should. And, and so we came up with a storyline because usually, you know, if you just have the victims, it's not enough of a story. And so we found that really Klauberg, who was a doctor experimenting on these women, he really had this dark story. And so we could really come up with a story that was uh, thrilling enough to to make this documentary. And I think so a lot of it is about um, finding the right narrative, about finding um, what people would be interested in as well. You know, it's not enough that I'm, I like a story or that I'm interested in. It really needs to speak to other people. And I think that what we accomplished with uh, Made in Auschwitz. Yeah, you absolutely did. You you wove his his dark storyline into those candid interviews on the experimentation very well in a way that kept us interested. So how did you go about weaving that story into and craft it into what we see as the finished product? Like with many films, and actually also my current project, funding is always a, 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 the, the toughest part, right? And so if you um, tell people that you want to make a film about women who were experimented on like 70 or 75 years ago, um, they're like, we've seen all that. We don't want any, we, we can't imagine that people want to buy sort of a movie ticket for, for this film. And um, and so you basically start out because we were under tremendous time pressure. I mean, we had the women who were 80 plus, you know, our oldest one was uh, over 100 years old. So it's not like you can wait like for five years until you like got the finances together. So, um, so we started filming the women and we said, you know, let's look what they can still tell us and then go from there and see how that fits into um, the archival footage that we found into the um, the archive material from from the trial from his life. You know, so, so you basically it's like a mosaic, you know, that you really you have centerpieces and then you build around and try to make it a story that kind of like helps you bring forward the most important points that you want to bring across. Well, let's talk about the financing. How how challenging was that for you? How do you go about securing your financing for this piece or your other pieces? You know, can you really delve right. into that? So I think, and I, I I don't mean that sort of as a as a deterrent for up and coming filmmakers, but a lot of it has to do with um, not paying yourself very early on. You know, so. So usually, and, and that is certainly true for this project and for the current project as well, you, you start working even before you have the money, which is in a way unfortunate. Um, I mean, if you see like where the money goes, you know, that you see these um, these really uh, high profile, high gloss, you know, um, films in Hollywood that get millions and millions. And, and you basically, I mean, Made in Auschwitz was a film that was made basically on $300,000, you know which in comparison is nothing, you know? And so, and it's it's still, it's hard to get that money together. And so um, in that film, we we were lucky enough to um, secure funding from different parts. You know, we had, we had different foundations who helped out. We had broadcasters who went on board and, and certainly having, I mean, a German broadcaster and an Israeli broadcaster in, in sort of the, the core finance block, I'd say was detrimental to to get it done you know but again i mean the israelis didn't come in until i think 
probably like, I don't know, three or four years into the project. So until then, you're kind of like you're there, you know, you want to do that film and you promise basically also to these women, um, even if you won't be able to see it anymore because you might be dead by then, you know. Well, we will still make it for your, you know, children and grandchildren and, and we'll, we'll secure this, this footage and we'll make something of it. And uh, I find that really the most stressful part, to be honest. And I, I wish there was another way to, to do that. And so currently I'm in a film project. I have secured $100,000. I need another 100000 And it's like, um, yeah, there's people waiting for something to happen, you know. And it's like you have to tell them not this year, maybe next year. There's a pandemic, you know. There's There's always reasons why things are being delayed. And, yeah, it's hard. So I don't, uh, I don't want to. There's nothing to say than other than that. No, no, no. That that's that's fine. You're telling us. You're telling those that are listening in the reality of of the situation. So your current financing, or let's go back to the Auschwitz financing. So you got some money from broadcast in Germany that would uh, televise this, and they came in with an upfront amount. And then the Israeli television came in, broadcast came in later on in the play. Now, in the in-between, did you get, did you do crowdfunding? Did you get individual money to kick in uh, so that you could flesh out the rest in that interim that you were moving forward with those interviews with these women before they their age caught up to them? I, I'm all for people going for crowdfunding. I think that's great. But I think you have to be a really good salesperson that speaks to a lot of people. And um, I'm just not, that's just not me. I've never really done that route. I think I tried it once in a, in a journalistic project. It worked okay, but it's not something that, I mean, it just the, the, the amount of money that you need is, is for me is just sort of like too much for do that and and so we we went mostly with um with foundations that we kind of like um applied for grants and that has certainly helped with you know sort of fleshing out the the treatment you know finding sort of ways to tell the stories to secure the interviews in the beginning um that was mostly really it so and then you you basically you work without paying yourself yet so you live sort of from sales of previous projects or or other things you know so so um, we were lucky enough to get a um, Israeli co-producer on board when we had to, who helped us also to to get the uh, Israeli broadcaster on board, and um, and they also did uh, were in charge of world distribution, which has been really good for us. I mean, we have been able to, I mean, we have the break even now, which is okay. You know, it's not something that it's, we, nobody has really made any money on the film, but that's okay for now. And I think we're we're sort of like we're moving into into better waters now but sort of uh, that has been really a long struggle I guess then we did simultaneously really hit the um, the the circuit with festivals the moment uh, the film was out and so it was mostly North America and Europe um, and um, and that has been really interesting because we have been to the, uh, most of the Jewish film festivals with a Auschwitz topic that's, I guess, sort of, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's almost a given, you know, that that's the place where you start out. Um, but we've also had a couple of other really inter interesting festivals like La Femme um, and also the St. Louis International Film Festival or um, Lunenburg Festival in, in Canada. Uh, festival in Ontario. So, I mean, we, we've been around and that for me, it's really also about getting the story out, you know, making people aware of um, of something that's not really over yet, but it's still there. Uh, sort of um, it, the, the trauma is passed on from generation to generation. Some of the topics that come up 
are relevant today, you know, so. Have you done screenings at Jewish um, associations? How have you gotten that word out via social media, if you have utilized that kind of machine? Right. Yeah, so you, Jewish institutions, I mean, many of them usually um, co-fund the Jewish film festivals. And um, and a couple of uh, libraries have uh, have bought the film. And so I've been to a, a symposium in, uh, in Florida. It was actually the last trip I did before the pandemic hit. <laughs> Um, so there have been a number of really interesting, uh, places that we, that we also went into more of the scholarly discourse, so to speak. So going through the festival circuit as a documentarian, do you find that the festival circuit can yield connections that you may not have available to you? Uh, you know, talk to us about how you work, how you personally utilize the festival circuit? The festival circuit for me personally has always been very difficult because I'm more of an introvert. So really reaching out is really sort of something that I have to very actively pursue, you know, just the kind of like mindful, I need to talk to X, Y, and Z, and I need to ask people to introduce me or um, so I have also worked on um, on the international Emmy juries, and that has usually helped me, you know, to connect with people that I've met there. Or um, so it's definitely important to meet people, and even if it's only to um, get the encouragement, you know, I find sometimes a lot of the the research, a lot of the um, documentary work is a very solitary work, which is also why I like doing it, you know. So for many. I think probably most of the year, if I'm not um, traveling to um, to festivals, commissioning editors, I work in my studio, I work at my desk, you know, so um, I work with maybe one or two or three people. And so it really is important to understand that other people see your work, to get feedback, um, to talk about other people's work, to see their work. So this connection is really important. And I would add to that um, really the, the connection with other women in film. So a lot of the also the documentary world is um, is very male oriented. And so um, making that connection and knowing that you're not the only one and that you're kind of like you have the same hesitant feelings as others, you know, just a lot of that has um, has sort of been over the years really helpful. Well, let's talk about how challenging it is as a woman and a documentarian who is telling stories that wouldn't necessarily be viewed as, you know, woman stories, mm -hmm. right? Um, how, how has the current climate, have you seen changes? Have you seen mm, slight cracks in the, uh, the barrier walls uh, coming through or have you not? Is it still just as difficult as it was four years ago? <laughs> Both, actually. It's interesting how things like sometimes happen simultaneously. So um, I have, especially in the last four years, I would say probably like two years ago, it was probably the first time that I realized, especially at the um, streaming studios, Netflix, Amazon and others, um, some women who are who are more diverse have come up into the ranks of um, the decision makers. And I find that really helpful, not because they treat me differently, not because they prefer what I do, but because you see that the greater diversity helps a different different genres to come up and different films. Mm -hmm. And also, if you like, look at the Oscars that, that won this, this year, you know, it's just, you see there is more better awareness that the world is not only white and, and male. So 
Um, I like that a lot. And um, by the same token, um, I think as soon as the pandemic struck, a lot of the um, old boys networks came up, you know, the women had to take care of the children as usual, you know, just like, I mean, just, we, we had a kind of like a backlash that um, I guess was supposed to be expected, but uh, still it's hard, you know, so um, yeah. So what are you uh, working on now? What's your focus? And are you trying to break into uh, doing this more for broadcast, mm -hmm. uh, your next project? And are you trying to focus your career to being a more broadcast uh, uh, documentary? Right. So I think broadcast is so far the only way, or was for me the only way to um, to get my films financed. It's not what I would prefer to do. You know, I, ideally I would have somebody who, who gives me the money and lets me work and then I kind of have a nice output. That's not the reality. That's not what I, how I can work at the moment. What I aim for, and I think we've had a had a sort of partly success with the films that we've had, um, yeah, acquired by Amazon and Netflix in the past. That sort of like streaming us, um, organizations are, are sort of more what we're, we're going for. Companies are is what we're going for now. So I currently I work on a film about the um, the late um, AP photographer and uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Anya Niedringhaus. Who, um, who was killed in Afghanistan in 2014. And she was together with a female colleague, a Canadian woman by the name of Kathy Gannon, who survived the attack. And, um, and so the attacker was a policeman and um, it, he, he got um, sentenced um, for 20 years to back in prison. And then he was released just recently. So, so there is a whole story of, um, uh, you know, women being attacked, journalists being attacked. Um, uh, very little was done in the aftermath to actually look into the, like, why why did he attack? Um, and there's there's a whole, like, true crime story in, in this whole project that I, that I really love and that I've worked hard to secure funding for. Um, yeah, and that's been something that I've, again, you know, like you work for a few years just in researching and doing interviews. And and I'm I hope that I've, that I'm able to finish this week, this year. So, so that's the, the, the big part now. So is trying to get it done by the end of the year so you can start soliciting it. Right. Tell us a little bit more about your process within, especially this true crime element on your new doc. Have you, have you discovered that you're, you're becoming more of a criminal investigator uh, through the process? <laughs> yeah, actually. So, so I knew Anya uh, as a colleague, I knew her fairly well. And, um, and we both have a, she had, and I have a great love for Afghanistan. It's a great country. It's a, uh, it's uh, it's very photogenic. It's um, the people are, are very special. And, um, and so it, I thought in the beginning, I I make a documentary about a colleague who has a very unique body of work, you know, and we have the same circle of friends and colleagues. And so I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's easy, you know, like, give me a year or two, and this thing is done. And, and so as, as time progressed, I, I found a lot of elements where I was like, huh, why did nobody ever ask this question? And why didn't nobody ever ask this question? And you look at documents and you look at sort of uh, police reports and, and all of a sudden like a story emerges. And that's what actually has happened. And so so that's where I'm at now. And um, it was slowed down by the pandemic, but I got a very nice grant to, to get parts of the research funded, which um, I would not have been able to do otherwise. 
And um, yeah, so I, I really hope that we'll get the final piece of funding also done, I don't know, sometimes this year. So um, within your kind of weaving of the story are, uh, and, and again, because of the type of story you're telling, are you having it more interview based? Are you doing more reenactments? Are you doing a combination? What has been your uh, choice of storytelling within that genre? So no reenactment. So I really, it's really based on well a lot of interviews, but I have been also on the ground um, in different countries in Afghanistan, for example. Um, I have looked um, into uh, Anya's life in uh, in Germany and Switzerland. So you we. We show the, the her world basically in which she lived, um, mm -hmm. and then there is a lot of uh, her photographic work. You know, like you have, we have photographs that we can show, and we can sort of uh, we have her voice, or we have our interview partner's voice, and we see pictures mm -hmm. that she has taken, which are telling stories. You know, mm -hmm. um, so we. I'm also a consultant or a documentary director on a on a biopic um, of Anya, which. Is actually um, more of a docu-fiction. So they have um, not reenactments, really. It's more like a fictionalized film with some documentary parts. But for the documentary, it's really strictly documentary and uh, very interview-based, but not only talking heads. So I can say that much. <laughs> so. You know, you haven't, you've, you've used the festival circuit, and I, I'm assuming you're going to continue using the festival circuit with your products because that's a way of, of getting and building that notoriety and that social media, you know, buzz. But, you know, moving forward, where where are you trying to get to in your career? Where do you see your yourself in the next uh, five years, you know, within your storytelling? Right. So I think that's a really interesting question. And the pandemic has given me some time to reflect on my career. Um, there was a time, I'd probably say some maybe six months ago or so, when I was like, no, maybe I should just get out of the business because it's so unsustainable and it's just, uh, it takes so much. And it, give, I, it gives me back a lot, but it's very hard to, you know, I, yeah, I have two kids. I just like, I just felt really sort of uh, not ready to sustain this uh, life on a shoestring and just like much longer. You know, I was like, no, I'm, I'm really done with sort of, uh, hunting money and finding ways to to make bills pay etc so um but then again you have know, been doing this for for a long time and and um and i think that's probably normal that sometimes you doubt yourself and and so now i'm probably in a little bit better spot and um i think i want to use my knowledge and my talents and the things i do and maybe um also really venture out and do um more director's work um, for others. I think um, that's one way. I think consultancy would be another way, you know, just really um, using what I know and make it available for those who are earlier in their process. I think I have actually um, not used the, the full potential of um, the media. I think in a way I've been really fortunate because I actually come from writing. I have books I have uh, made I've curated exhibitions I've done films I've worked in news media so I have sort of covered a lot and I think so um, I could still sort of use that more in like making projects like yeah face out broader you know just like really 
um, make use in different media. And I think that that would be another way of that I could possibly envision. So but really, just like to add that maybe as a last thing, really sort of, uh, I think streaming and the way that we tell stories sort of in, in um, you know, have a three or four part series, have a six part series. I think that, that would be another way of, uh, of going about uh, another way of um, developing my narratives. That's really kind of the way for the future uh, on the domestic lands is creating a docu-series where you're having the time to really tell that narrative in that genre form over six, you know, eight uh, episodes and really having a chance to delve, you know, into it on a more formal basis. That that would be great. Um, You know, certain content sways itself towards that more than others. But I think you're capable of definitely tackling that and presenting that. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Really international cooperations. You know, I, I have uh, over the years, I have worked with so many amazing people in different countries. Um, the editor of Made in Auschwitz, for example, was um, an Israeli um, editor and director that I, that I admire. You know, he just he, excellent work. He's a, he's a young guy, and sort of I, I learned so much from him. And and so I think really um, looking for creative collaboration. I think that's that's also really something that it's it's really not only about one person. You know, especially film is such a collaborative work that. Um, just brings out the best of us when we work in diverse teams. Well, let's talk about the editing um, from the standpoint of you're doing documentarian work as opposed to narrative Mm -hmm. work. How does the editor work with you or what's your approach in that, in that editorial where you're, where you're crafting really the story from the footage you've collected? So I think that um, you really have to have somebody that you trust, that you love um, and that you um, basically let's give the all the material to and let them work with it for some time and i don't say that because i i want to sort of step back and just uh, let them do it but it's really i found it helpful to um to take a new look and approach because if a person other than yourself who has been doing all these interviews and who knows the material um looks at it afresh uh, they come up with different stories and um, I found, for example, with Made in Auschwitz, when Shaquet Ren, who, who was the editor, he sometimes made pieces that made me laugh. And I was like, how can I laugh in the face of an Auschwitz story, you know? But yeah, and so, so I mean, we're both um, grandchildren of survivors. And, and so, um, and I found that really helpful to have, a, to have this um, external view and say, you know, it's been all so shitty. You know, like, can we can we please laugh about something now? And so, and that brings you new energy and kind of like, and then you can start. You know, it it just gives a different dynamic. And I think that's so important that you that you work with your editor. Not only kind of like uh, you have your your script and you say, okay, this is a treatment. You tell the story like this, but really kind of. Like, there's so many little pieces that you can change a story or that you can give it more depth or that you can give it a, a new visual quality. And I think that's really what you, what you, it's like a dance, you know, it's like modern dance where you kind of like you try things out and you, until you feel this is it, you know, this is the way I want to tell it. That's great information because a lot of people who are listening in are not really familiar that the, the crafting of documentarian content is 
twofold. Yes, you have your idea, but then the crafting of it, the manipulation of that idea happens in the editorial bay with your editor and the director, which then kind of almost back engineers that that story, right? So for young directors, you know, what are the choices you had to make that you weren't expecting to make on set that that you can, you know, tell us about? At a very advanced stage, you still learn. So um, if you make mistakes and you feel like, how could I? This happens even. I mean, yeah, the older you get, you still make mistakes. Um, but I think the most important part for me has always been when I had camera people or camera operators or DOPs that I thought were like, you know, renowned or you, you knew that they were, their work was, was good. Um, and then you find out it's not your style. You know, that's really hard, you know, because like you have, you invested the money, you made a commitment, you have, usually it's, if you have a, if you have somebody who you interview, especially if it's older people, you can't go back and redo this. You know, it's like your one shot. And um, and I found that really hard. Sometimes you have to be really, really careful who you choose and um, and look at real. I mean, you know, most people, they have, they have their standard reel of their work. Um, but really look at films that they've been part of, of uh, just... Just really make sure, do your research. Um, I have had a number of times where I felt like I, I just went on um, on somebody's word, you know, and, and I trust them and I trust the, the, the camera operators. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm not really happy with it afterwards. So that's just something... I had one time I had a guy in Florida who um, who was very hectic. And so if you come, if you come to an old person who was very slow and who just their time you know and there's somebody who's who's really happy just don't get into the groove and that's that's and the pictures are they can be as nice as they come you know but if you can't use the footage it's just uh, it's a waste of time and money have you ever dealt with uh that sexism on set oh. that you've had that you've been challenged yeah yeah, yeah a lot actually it's and how have you dealt with um, that? I usually, I mean, when you film, there is not much time. And usually I just want to get my, my sort of my story sort of uh, filmed. But I remember when we did this uh, film on um, on child trafficking in Europe, um, we I had several trips to Eastern Europe. And um, I had a wonderful camera woman and a wonderful producer in Ukraine. And um, I could, I don't know, just because coming out of this really good um, working relationship, I didn't even think that sort of this could ever be an issue again. You know, I was, I was, so, I was, uh, I was in a good spot. And so the next trip, I think we went to Romania and Bulgaria and I had a German uh, camera guy with me and he challenged like every step of the way, including like, driving, you know, I'm, I'm a really good driver. And so I mean, he just could not get over it that I was driving because I, I knew the, the place, you know, so it just things like that. It's, um, I've, I was lucky. I mean, I've never had anybody sort of uh, grab me or touch me or do anything like that, you know, um, on, at work, but I can totally see how that, especially for younger women and, and younger directors, um, if you have an older, yeah, older people that you like, older men that you work with and that you're dependent on. Um, I mean, I've seen my share of things. Um, 
Well, speaking about, you know, shooting in the Ukraine or, or in different locations, how how do you go about budgeting that from the standpoint of, you know, I'm creating a, a, a documentarian uh, piece of content? Um, budgeting, you mean like the entire budget of the film or? Yeah, like how do you how do you approach, you know, budgeting out okay. that? Okay, so, um, yeah. well, the thing is really that you need a, in my opinion, you need you need really need a producer who who takes care of that. Um, I have co-produced, um, so basically, I have um, I have budget responsibility, but I try not to do that by myself. I mean, just because I'm not a, a budget, per, I'm not a money person. I don't like numbers. So, listen, I've got two two last questions. So, what piece of advice can you give new filmmakers out there who are trying to be successful in that genre of documentarian work? I think um, look for mentors. Look for, I mean, for for women especially. I mean, women in films and television, they have a lot of uh, good advice. Look to find people um, to show you the ropes. Um, intern, you know, um, just to you're not alone, and you have to don't you don't have to do this by yourself. Film school is great. But um, you have to get your hands-on experience as well, and um, and don't start the work too early because you really need to be able to have stories to tell. If you're too young, you think you have stories, and but they're usually they're not matured yet, you know. So you need some time to grow into that business, and just give yourself that time. That's that's excellent advice. Last question. So what is a dirty little secret of Hollywood that you wish someone had told you that you go, oh, my gosh, be more confident than you really are. I think that's the that's the, the one secret to Hollywood. I think a lot of people in Hollywood are really insecure, but you can't show it. So that's that's my one thing that I would say. That's 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 a great dirty little secret. I'll t- I'll tell you. Have have the confidence. Have the confidence when you walk in. Um, listen, I would like to thank you again for coming on Best in Fest. Uh, for all those that want to submit their film festival, sorry, their film to our film festival this year, go to Film Freeway. Search on Lafemme International Film Festival or go on to lafemme.org. Uh, don't forget to uh, like us and listen to us and uh, tap in and rate us on iTunes and all the other uh, podcast uh, platforms. There will also be a video component, so you can see this podcast live on our uh, YouTube channel. And I would like to thank again Sonia Winterberg so much for coming on at Best and Fest. Would you like to share any of your handles with us before we sign off? So if you're looking for me, um, I'm uh, Winterberg Media on Instagram or Experiment Days on Twitter. And let me also thank you, Leslie, because um, both the festival has been really a great experience and I love all that you do. And it's really sort of uh, has helped me also to to better navigate some of the realms in uh, out west and on the West Coast in Hollywood. So thanks again. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. Best in Fest. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank you.